Hello there and welcome to the Backtracker Show with me, Alice. I have a great show lined up for you today. We have a really interesting story which actually did make me quite angry. Um, We also have a word of the week to educate, a book to share and lots of great songs to dance to. Firstly, let me hit you with a fact. In 1838, on the 8th of April, the steamship Great Western designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel, set off from Bristol, England, on its maiden voyage to New York City. It was the first steamship to go into regular transatlantic passenger service. On the night of October 23rd, 1817, the sailing packet William and Mary, en route from Bristol to Waterford in Ireland, struck a rock near Flatholm in the Bristol Channel and sank within 30 It was a clear night, the water was calm and there was a gentle wind blowing but the negligence and selfish behaviour of the crew is said to be what caused the accident and was largely responsible for the subsequent loss of life. The proud legend of British sea disasters would have us believe that women and children were always given priority when a ship went down. But it certainly didn't happen in the case of William and Mary. Of the 24 women and children on board, not one lived. One of the reasons for this is that the mate and other crewmen forced some of the women out of the ship's only boat in order to save their own skins. This was after he had caused the accident in the first place by not being at his post because he was busy forcing himself on one of the female passengers. The William and Mary disaster is now very obscure and largely forgotten. There are few accounts to be found in books or online, and those that are available often contradict one another. If you go back to accounts from the time, you get the distinct impression that Bristol City Fathers, notorious for corruption even by the standards of a notoriously corrupt age, engaged in a cover-up to avoid damage to the city's seafaring reputation. We don't know the exact size of the William and Mary, but assume she was a sloop a fairly small and agile ship with a single mainmast and a long bowsprit, which could carry a further sail. Such ships were a common sight around the British coast in the early 19th century and they could travel at 12 knots or more, which was fast by the standards of the time. For some years she had been running a regular packet service between Bristol and Southern Ireland, usually either Waterford or Cork. Most of the ship's earnings were probably from passengers rather than cargo. The passengers were from a wide variety of backgrounds. The richest was probably Pierce Barron, a landowner from County Waterford, who was travelling with his three sisters and a servant, and maybe his mother, but accounts vary. Mr Barron had also bought his carriage, which was now lashed to the deck. Another passenger was an Anglican vicar, the Reverend Sandys, his wife, his daughter Selina, and his niece Anne Burroughs. As well as these... There were around 40 passengers, mostly Irish, in steerage, which, unfortunately, as the poor usually are, we may never know their names and they'll remain obscure. They had probably worked in menial and labouring jobs in and around Bristol. It is thought that some had intended to return to Bristol, but the likelihood is that many more had earned enough to go back to the home and build better lives for themselves and their families. But instead they would end up in unmarked graves on steep hole. Captain William Manley, an experienced channel sailor, gave orders to get underway at 8pm. 
Two hours later, with the ship making a steady six knots in a light breeze, he went below and told the passengers that all was well and that they should get some rest for the night. He felt that all was well and that they'd avoided the treacherous rocks known as the wolves or the woolies. And he was leaving the helm in experienced hands of his first mate, John Outerbridge. Before the impact, the ladies of the Baron family were quite nervous about the journey, and when the captain popped in to see them on the way to his cabin, he tried to reassure them, saying that they had already passed any risk. This eased their fears, and Mr Baron even picked up his book and read aloud to them to keep them amused. At around 11pm, everyone felt a shock, as if the vessel had grounded, and the captain, who had been asleep in his cabin, called out, "'Hello, what is the matter?' The captain stormed onto the deck and shouted with an oath to the mate, John, you have lost the lives of all on board. I never could trust you. I wish I had a sword. I would run you through. An unnamed passenger later stated, There was a gentleman's family on board, I believe Mr Barron, having a carriage belonging to them lashed to the deck. Around 11 o'clock, the weather being favourable, the captain retired below, leaving the vessel in charge of the mate. I had previously seen this fellow romping and playing with a girl on board, and as soon as the captain left the deck, this abandoned wretch gave up the helm to one of the sailors, and I saw him trying to force the girl into the carriage, lashed to the deck. I was going down below at the time, and soon after, the vessel struck the wolves. I immediately hasted upon the deck and saw the mate and three sailors in possession of the boat after forcing out a lady whose husband, an officer in the army, had succeeded in putting her in. They then made for land." Those that were saved had secured themselves to the rigging till we were rescued two hours later. All the rest, including the captain, went down with the vessel. Podcast of the Month is Dark Histories, which tells the stories of some of our darkest moments in history, deepest mysteries and strangest happenings, from large cultural events to smaller localised legends, which are brought to you in an interesting and entertaining way. This podcast is currently in its fourth season, but if you go to the website at darkhistories.com, you can find all the other shows as well. For example, in season three, they have stories such as Lord Lucan, as well as an interesting one called Bella Wright and the Green Bicycle Mystery, which talks about a young woman called Bella Wright in 1919 who was found dead by the roadside on a Saturday evening. Assumed her death was an accident until they found the gunshot wound. You can find out more about this story and others at the website darkhistories.com and you can get the podcast wherever you get your normal podcasts. The book I want to talk to you about today is The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell. It goes as this. When newly widowed Elsie is sent to see her pregnancy out at her late husband's crumbling estate, the bridge, what greets her is far from the life of wealth and privilege she was expecting. When Elsie married handsome young heir Rupert Bainbridge, she believed she was destined for a life of luxury, but with her husband dead just weeks after their marriage, her new servants resentful and the local villagers actively hostile, 
Elsie is only her husband's awkward cousin for company, or so she thinks. Inside her new home lies a locked door, beyond which is a painted wooden figure, a silent companion, that bears a striking resemblance to Elsie herself. The residents of the bridge are terrified of the figure, but Elsie tries to shrug this off as simple superstition. That is, until she notices the figure's eyes following her. I'm not going to lie to you, this book freaked me out, but it was still a very, very good read. I'm Alice, your friendly neighbourhood backtracker on The Backtracker Show at Bradley Stoke FM. And now we'll continue our story of the William and Mary packet ship and how it sank near Flatholm in the Bristol Channel. From John's statement and in his own words, he says, The vessel was going down channel when the packet struck. The mate abandoned the helm and, with the other seamen, took the boat, leaving the packet and passengers to their fate. Owing to this, the vessel broached to and backed off, driving from shore. Whereas if the mate had kept the vessel in a proper position, with her square sail filled and her head directed towards the shore, there can be no doubt but that, by pumping and bailing, she might have been carried into shallow water before she foundered. And by these means, the lives of all on board might have been saved. A full half an hour elapsed from the time she struck until she foundered. The vessel continued to back away from the shore for at least ten minutes, by which time the crew had totally deserted. What happened next can only be described as heroic and quick thinking. Hayes took the helm and with help from fellow passengers was able to haul the main sheet aft, fill the square sail and make good way back towards the shore when the packet finally sunk. If it wasn't for his actions in moving the packet into more shallow waters, more people would have died. As it was, the survivors were going, clinging onto the mainmast, which was sticking out of the water. Hayes sank with the vessel but managed to grasp a rope and haul himself up, hand over hand to the top of the mast, which was sticking out of the water by about 10 feet. He stayed there with about 14 to 15 other passengers until they were rescued. About six people couldn't keep their hold until rescue came and through exhaustion sank into the dark water. Another survivor was Mr Shortest from Bristol. He saved himself by swimming and had been in the water for over two hours when he was eventually picked up by a boat. He said that he saw another man near him in the water and he thought it was Mr Barron. He tried to cheer him up but Barron only had the strength to say, in a faint voice, I can go no further. And then he disappeared below the surface of the water. The Taunton Courier stated, It's quite clear from what has already transpired that by Outerbridge's gross ignorance and culpable neglect of duty, the lives of 33 persons were sacrificed. It is probable that the sailors would have reacted differently if the mate had set them an example. Shortly before the vessel sank, a poor young soldier took his wife and child to the bow, where they sat down and calmly awaited their fate. As she settled, they floated like that for a moment, and then sank, clasped in each other's arms. During the event, the three Baron sisters and their mother were intimidated into leaving the only lifeboat by the seamen. When the men couldn't get the ladies out by any other means, they lowered the boat's stern until water entered, and the ladies were scared that they would fall in. 
They then helped the ladies out and scrambled aboard themselves. The young ladies were last seen clinging to each other on the deck, terrified as the vessel sank. The body of Anne Burroughs was picked up and sent to friends in Bath. It had been robbed of everything except stockings. The survivors were taken to Cardiff, where the first house they came to turned them away. It transpired that it was an all-female household, who were naturally quite nervous about letting them in at that time of night. When the owner of the house returned, he was one of the most active in helping the survivors. The next cottage they came to, the people in there gave up their only bed to help the survivors rest. Captain Manley sank with the vessel with, and his body was found eight miles away. He left behind a pregnant wife and three children. The first mate, John Outerbridge, went to Bristol instead of Cardiff. It's thought because he was too scared to be anywhere near the other survivors. Outerbridge wrote a letter to the public ledger and daily advertiser a month later, denying any wrongdoing, claiming that he was assisting the young lady with her luggage and that the captain had never left the helm to him. He even states that the last thing the captain said to him was, Oh Lord John, what shall we do? As now, there were people who tried to benefit from this disaster. One such man claimed to be a survivor of the wreck and ended up being whipped out of Bridgewater after having succeeded in getting some items from this. few more facts from April for you. Firstly, I've got the one about in 1936, on the 13th of April, a record 10 goals in one football match were scored by Joe Payne of Luton Town in a match against Bristol Rovers. Hmm, what do you think about that, guys? And on the 14th of April, in 1865, U.S. President Abraham Lincoln was shot by assassin John Wilkes Booth while attending Ford's Theatre in Washington, D.C. He died the following day. Also, on the 14th of April, in 1931, the U.K.'s Highway Code was first published. And now I bring you the Word of the Week. This is where I try and find a word that hasn't been used for years, maybe centuries, and bring it back to you so you can see and maybe use it yourself. Some of them are hilarious, like this one. This week's word is flap doodle, which means nonsense. Now, I have been told that I've been speaking flap doodle from once in a while, normally after I've had a few G&Ts, but that's a different story. I'd like to take a moment to thank all those out there who are working really hard during these really difficult times, especially our NHS on the front line. Now, we can help all these people by following the simple guidelines, like staying at home and self-isolating, and if you do go outside, to stay two metres apart from anyone else. Our last fact for this week 
is that in, on 15th of April 1912, the world's largest and most luxurious liner, the Titanic, sank within three hours of striking an iceberg. Here are a few facts. The Titanic was built between 1909 and 1911. She was 882 feet in length and 175 feet in height. She had a crew of about 900 people. The engines were powered by pressurised steam from burning coal. She was a luxury passenger liner that carried some of the world's richest people as well as others looking for a new life in North America. On her final trip, her course was from Southampton to New York and she left Southampton on April 10th and stopped at destinations in France and Ireland before heading towards America. She collided with an iceberg and sank on April 15th, 1912. And while the Titanic carried over 2,200 people, there were only enough lifeboats for around 1,200 of them. So, over 1,500 people died because of the sinking. The remains of the Titanic wreck still sit on the seabed over 12,400 feet below the surface of the water. The image of the ship's band playing hymns such as Abide With Me as the unsinkable ship finally sank beneath the icy waters is iconic of the tragedy. But did you know it's actually quite relevant to us here in Bristol, especially in Staple Hill? It's not really that well known, but the man that was conducting Abide With Me was a Bristol preacher called Uncle Bob Bateman. He was the son of a Staple Hill stonemason, born October 1859 in Pendennis, Staple Hill. Bob was with the band at 11.45 when the Titanic hit the iceberg. He escorted his sister-in-law to a lifeboat. He said, Don't be nervous, Annie. This will test our faith. I must stay and let the women go. If we never meet again on this earth, we will meet again in heaven. He threw his handkerchief into the descending lifeboat, saying, Put that around your throat. You'll catch a cold. Bateman then collected about 50 men on the stern of the ship and told them to prepare for death. He led them in saying the Lord's Prayer and as the band plays his favourite hymn, the great ship slid under the water. His sister-in-law would later recall the following. Brother forced me into the last lifeboat, saying he would follow me later. I believe I was the last person to leave the ship. Brother threw his overcoat over my shoulders as the boat was being lowered away, and as we neared the water, he took his black necktie and threw it at me with the words, Goodbye, God bless you. Eyewitnesses said later that Bateman pushed his sister-in-law into a lifeboat and then returned to the band, calling on the musicians to play Nearer My God to Thee. Those passengers and crew who couldn't find any place in lifeboats joined in with the hymns. Mr. Bateman was still beating time when the waters closed over his head. Bateman was lost in the sinking, aged 51. His frozen body was subsequently recovered by the cable-laying vessel McKay Bennett. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of the show. Remember, you can contact me on Twitter or Facebook. The address is at... Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. 
on either of those sites, you might actually find some additional information um, in regards to the show. So it's always worthwhile checking in. So from me, Alice, at the Backtracker History Show, take care and look after each other. <laughs>